This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to Episode 77 of the podcast where we help you move forward with your aviation career, whatever that may be. You know, the path towards an airline piloting career can be varied depending on your personal circumstances and the choices you make in life. You know, you may want to live in a certain location, you may want to fly only certain types of aircraft, or you have a family and you need to make sure you're home a certain number of days a month. With that said, a common question from listeners is, how do I know I'm progressing towards my career goal of becoming an airline pilot? Well, today I have with me someone who will help me answer this question and many more. Angie Marshall is president of Cage Marshall Consulting. For over 20 years, she has worked with pilots offering her expertise with career and furlough guidance, backward re- background research, excuse me, application support, resume and cover letter development, interview prep, and special concerns consulting. Boy, that's, that's a, a, a quite a, a repertoire there. Welcome to the podcast, Angie. Thank you very much for having me, Carl. I appreciate this. Yeah, this is this is awesome. Angie and I have a lot in common helping out uh, furloughed pilots. As you know, I did that for over 10 years in the past. And uh, it's, it's exciting working with pilots because uh, they're so passionate about their careers. Well, actually, let me take that back. It's, it's exciting talking to all people in aviation careers, don't you think? I, I, I agree. There's, there's just such a, it's such a dynamic group, and there's so much energy with people who are in the aviation industry. I, I, I love everything about aviation. Well, you know, it, it, that, that's something that we have in common, and, and there's been other people on the show that say, you know what, if they couldn't fly, they'd do something else in aviation. If, uh, and I'm the same way. If I lose my medical tomorrow, it doesn't matter. The next day I'm doing something else. People in the aerospace and aviation are so darn passionate about what they do. It's, it's really it, it's inspiring. I wish everybody in all careers could do that. I think part of that is the fact that a career in aviation is, can be you know, somewhat difficult. It's challenging, in other words, uh, moving forward. So uh, just in, no matter what you do, it's hard to find the jobs, that type of thing. Because you know what? We don't know where to go and who to talk to. Well, luckily, we have somebody here, Angie, who uh, is the person to talk to about moving forward in your career. Well, today we want to talk a little bit, though, about uh, expectations in your career. And and I think I haven't stressed this enough uh, as far as career expectations. Uh, We're going to discuss piloting uh, careers, but Angie reminded me that they do many, many more. But we're going to focus on piloting careers. You know, am I? The question is, hey, I'm sitting here. I'm I'm I've been in this aviation industry for two years, and I'm a flight instructor, and I don't have that job uh, flying a seven thirty seven. Am I am I okay? Am I am I do am I doing well? And and I usually answer, yeah, you're 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 on the right track, but it all depends on your circumstances. Um, so, Angie, as far as a career progression, I usually tell people, give yourself five to ten years to get to that that aviation career goal after you've you know gotten all your licenses uh, what do you usually tell folks I, I absolutely agree everybody has a different golden ring that they are chasing for some pilots the golden ring may be to to eventually become a captain with a regional and complete their careers there for some it may be going to a corporate company for others it is getting to a major airline and in every step there are different lengths of time to get there so, so I do recommend always first establish where your golden ring is. 
um, and then determine realistically um, what um, what you're going to need to do to get there and the time frame. But if you are going for a legacy carrier, if you are going for to fly a heavy uh, a heavy plane or a heavy equipment, then yes, the the time frame that it could take. Um, from the time that you receive all of your flight ratings to the time that you actually are sitting there with your golden ring, it could be easily five to ten years. That's something that's interesting. I, I think that's something we we haven't stressed enough here on the show is that uh, you have to look at the long term. I had an interesting discussion with somebody this week at uh, at an air show, and this person was really discouraged in his career in aviation. And I want to speak to him and also those those listening that are in the same situation. He was a you know he did a military career. He didn't have much fixed wing time. It was mo- mostly helicopter, and he had about two thousand fixed wing when he got out. And he was thinking he was going to go right into the majors. Well, that's not always the case. As a matter of fact, currently it's that's not as competitive as most. Uh, he got really discouraged also when he went to the regionals and decided, okay, I'll build my time at the regionals. And he started at a very low salary. Uh, one thing I, I wish I could have grabbed this person before he he went to the regionals and said, "Hey, listen, you're not going to make much money that first year, and even the second year won't be that great. You're probably not going to make a real good livable wage for you know maybe two years or more." I mean, my case uh, was a little different. First couple of years, I I made maybe fourteen thousand dollars a year, but you know within was it about five six years in the regionals, I actually had a six figure income. So it can be there. It's just it's a, a lot of delayed gratification. And remember that most people that are going to the regionals are are using it as a as a building block to get to the majors, and the employer knows that, um, and they know that you're willing to take a little bit lower salary so you can gain that experience. Um, but but the one thing that that I think is discouraging to a lot of folks is that whole time frame in the time it takes you to get from point A to point B. Uh, one of the things I tell people is in, enjoy the ride along the way. Uh, make sure you know your building experience, but also enjoy what you're doing. Don't go to some job that you hate, that you that you know that you're going to want to quit within a few years. So, Angie, what would you tell somebody <laughs> that's that's doing that, just, just taking whatever job they can find and, and not really looking at the background of the company? What would you tell somebody that's that's looking at this career? First of all, uh, in in planning, you know, they're they're saying to themselves, gosh, here I am working for a regional, even though I have a few thousand hours, and I'm only making 20000 a year. I, I know, and that is, that's probably the biggest concern I do have with, with applicants who are trying to to, you know, build that time or what we call, you know, um, um, put, pay their dues. You know, there is something to be said about paying the dues, and, and I wish it wasn't that easy, um, or I wish, it, I wish it was easier than that, I should say. Um, but unfortunately, there is, you, you do, you have to enjoy the ride, and you have to understand that it's, it's, it's not just about flying the plane that they're looking at. There's a lot of different aspects that the airlines need to see that you have been able to master or at least build some very um, solid skills with. And that comes with cockpit resource management. That comes with, with being able to communicate effectively with the passengers if you're going in a passenger airline. But you have to be able to, to effectively communicate with your crew, with ATC, with scheduling. There's a lifestyle that is involved with flying for a regional airline that is very um, reflective of what will take place when you get to the, to the legacy carriers. So even though it is frustrating that you're only making X amount of hours and you're flying all of these legs and building all of this time, there's a lot of other um, aspects of this position that the legacy carriers are looking to see that you are able to to work on and, and that you will be able to bring to their company once you make it to that next level. So 
Yes, it is challenging. Yes, it is frustrating, I have to admit. Yes, there's sacrifices that not only you but your family will have to make with regards to kind of figuring out um, logistics for where to live um, and, and financial um, wherewithal. Um, but, but in the end, it can absolutely pay off right now because the regionals are moving um, first officers up to captain positions much more quickly because of demand. Um, it, it, you may only have to pay those dues for a couple of three years in order to make it to that captain seat. Um, and then hopefully in a couple of three more years, you'll be able to sit um, in an interview seat with a legacy carrier. So my best advice is, you know, look at it as rolling up your sleeves, putting your nose to the grindstone and doing what needs to be done, not just to build flight time, but to build your time um, as a good, efficient communicator, um, and, and that this is going to make you a better applicant and, and more successful applicant when you make it to that next level. Yeah, that's some great advice, uh, you know. And Angie, I, I think it's it's really encouraging to hear you say that. I, I know we're peas in a pod here, but uh, it's it's something that is when you look at the forums online, boy, you really get discouraged by this. And there's so many people out there that are telling you, hey, don't do this. It takes too long, et cetera. And honestly, that's what happened to me. You know, I put my career off in aviation for about 10 years. 10 years, uh, if you just look at like an average uh, captain's salary, you know, not the real high, but say 10 years could cost you $2 million in your career uh, over over your lifetime of your career. And that, that's a lot of money. But the problem is we focus on the, the beginning and not the end and what we're going to be doing in our 40s, not in our 20s. It's hard to look at, though, as a 20-year-old. Uh, when you, you see your friends getting out of college and they're 25 years old uh, making oodles of money in certain career fields, and, and you start thinking to yourself, gosh, did I, did I pick the right career field? I tell you what, Angie, I, lo- I actually I love my job, and uh, I get so many days off. I work harder on my days off producing all these different podcasts and helping people with their career uh, that when I go to work, it's, it's almost like a vacation. I mean, I know you've seen it happen where people have moved on and, like myself, maybe get 15 to 16 days off a month and get to really enjoy their job. Absolutely. And there, there is something to say about, about coming and going from the industry because you had mentioned, you know, it took you about, you know, 10 years. Um, but, but, you know, that, that's the other thing is that, that somebody who is truly passionate about this industry, somebody who is truly passionate about being a pilot and flying, um, you know, staying in aviation in any way, shape or form is, is key to, to overall success as well. So it's really important that even in the downtimes, because unfortunately, the reality is, is that there are hiccups in the aviation industry. I mean, it's a very volatile industry. You have furloughs, you have, um, you know, corporate flight departments that, that close doors. But it's important that you do something to stay active in, in aviation. And, and the other thing that's really important is to keep a realistic goal in mind that, that the majority of your um, financial success and the majority of your balance um, between work and life, um, and the majority of your success with success with regards to um, to overall time off or or ability to to have some flexibility in your schedule, comes towards the middle to the you know comes towards the middle of your career. So you're right. A lot of applicants look at it and say, "I'm 22 years old. I have my CFII. I have my 1,500 hours. Why aren't the legacies looking at me?" Um, and again, they will. They absolutely will. You have to look at it that you can sit in this in, in these seats for many, many years down the road and make, like you said, a couple million dollars. 
So don't look at it as you have to hurry up and run out there and get this done. It is a progression. It is something that takes a little bit of time. And if it's done correctly, believe it or not, you can shorten the amount of time it takes you to get there if you take the right steps in preparation and and, and building that time and building that experience. So, Angie, you brought up a a couple really good points. Um, First of all, the hours. You mentioned hours. Um, I know I've done job fairs in the past for an airline that I worked for, and they, you know, I have a lot of people come up to me and say, hey, you know, I have 3,000 hours, I have 2,000 hours, and you know, in reality, we take applications from everybody, but if you don't have, say, 4,000 hours, you're really not competitive Mm -hmm. in general in the industry as far as the majors are concerned, not the regionals, but the majors. Uh, What have you seen as far as competitive type of hours? You know, turbine PIC, making sure that you have some turbine PIC is absolutely important right now with the majors. Um, And I would say, you know, I've worked with pilots that have had as little as, as, you know, 1,500 hours of, of turbine PIC. And I've, I've seen pilots that have had as little as 2,700 hours total time um, who have been hired by the legacy carriers. But I would say right now on the average, and this is because of the amount of pilots with qualifications that far exceed this, um, I would say the average is probably four to 5,000 hours total time right now. And again, you have to look at where you're at, where the industry is right now. With, with between, you know, 10 and 12,000 qualified applicants that are applying for these legacy carriers. And some of them sat with the regionals for, you know, 13, 14, 15 years. You're looking at applicants who have, you know, 9,000 hours and up of total time. So that's why perhaps sometimes people get a little bit frustrated as they say, I have my 2,000 hours. Why aren't they looking at me? But you have to also keep that in perspective with the people that are looking for jobs that have the 9,000, 10,000 hours that have paid their dues for, you know, X amount of years in the, in the regional airlines as well. You know, Angie, when I, I got to my interview, I, I thought I was, uh, I had a lot of hours and, uh, with a major and I was between eight and 9,000 hours. And when I sat there talking to the guys around me and gals, I, I realized, you know, I was on the low end. Uh, I, I couldn't believe it. it just happened to be my class at that time had a lot of people with a lot of hours. Um, I'm glad you also mentioned the PIC turbine time. Um, you know, in, from your experience, what have you seen with turbine PIC for people that are flying turboprops? There's a, there's a lot of people listening now that are captains with a turboprop carrier and think, you know, do I need to move on to a, to a jet carrier and get turbo jet time, or, or should I start applying? I have five to 6,000 hours. Should I apply to the majors? I would say if they meet the minimums. Um, you know, it, it's really important because each airline has very specific qualifiers to determine what they're going to look at. I would say once you meet the minimums of the airline, I would go ahead and start submitting your application because you never know. Um, you just never know. Um, if you don't meet the minimums, then maybe it's time to look at that differently and say, you know what, I don't meet the minimums in this particular category. So maybe because I do eventually want to get to this company, I may have a career decision to make. I, I may have to look at another company in order to get a more well-rounded, um, you know, more well-rounded qualifications when it comes to, to um, you know, my different flight times. So it may be a situation where they do have to move on. We, we've had a handful of clients where that has happened. Um, some of them come from the 135 world, and they, they only have turboprop. Um, and they don't quite meet the minimum. So now they're looking at, you know, maybe going to 
a national level carrier um, in order to get that additional time so that um, or to a regional so that they can move up quickly in the ranks and hopefully in a year or two be in a better position so that they're more marketable to that company that is, is their target company. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the regionals. You know, I, I love all pilots, and I love all types of flying, the corporate, uh, you know, the Part 91 uh, flying for an individual, uh, that type of thing, and the and the charter, like you mentioned. Uh, the, the one thing that I like about the regional airlines is, uh, and I'll let you speak towards more examples, but the, the one is the number of hours that you fly in a year is quite high uh, compared to the, to the corporate world. Uh, sometimes two to three times as much as flying corporately. Uh, what has your experience been with the regionals compared to the other types of flying? Absolutely. There is nothing that beats if you want to earn some time and you want to progress quickly. A regional carrier, you can't beat it. You just can't beat it because you can fly anywhere from as little as 40 to 50 hours a month to as much as 100 hours per month. Whereas, yes, if you go into the corporate side of things, you can fly as little as 25 hours a month. So you actually build your time much more quickly, not to mention the more hours you are in that plane, obviously, the more experience you're going to have, which is it's not just the hours. I know a lot of times people look at, at, or pilots have a tendency to look and say, well, he's got this many hours. Well, but that also equates to experience in an interviewer's eyes. They've, they have that many hours in the plane flying through difficult weather conditions, landing in difficult airports, dealing with difficult situations or challenging situations with regards to, to passengers and crew members and coworkers. So there's, there's, um, there's a lot of diversity also that comes with regional airlines that sometimes you don't get with corporate. Corporate, you can get some wonderful customer service experience. Regional airlines, you can just get a lot of volume of customer service experience. So there's, there is definitely that, that um, the differentiation between the two. But I do think that the experience and the hours that you can gain flying with the regional and the ability to move up relatively quickly right now is just something that can't be beat. And I know the majors, they look at that experience and say, hey, you know, you've had that experience not just working uh, with customers, but also in that environment, because uh, in the corporate world, it's a, it's a slightly different environment. Uh, you know, hey, you got to get off the gate on a certain time, and, and you don't wait for, you know, you might wait for a connector, you might not. There's a lot of stresses involved. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, we were discussing this the other day. The the most stressful part of the job is just getting off the gate, uh, just having to to get everything prepared and and then make sure all everything's proper with the aircraft. And you have all the passengers and dealing with passenger issues. Uh, sometimes flying the airplane becomes the easier part. But you know, with that, looking at the regionals, I, and, and sometimes I I hate to use that word regional because uh, a lot of these regionals or some of the regionals are bigger than some of the major airlines that you're going to. Uh, as far as number of pilots, amazingly enough. But at the regionals, you can actually gain international flying experience. Uh, I always tell this story, and, and some people don't believe me when I say this, but I did more international flights at a regional than I do flying internationally with a major. Now, now, what does that mean? Meaning that you know, when I do a flight at a major, I'm flying a long distance, so I might just do one international flight in a day. At a regional, I may do three international flights and go to two or three different countries and have to deal with customs and immigrations each time. And that's an, it's an incredible experience, you know, having to work with all the different people and coordinating all the paperwork. And I think that international flying at the regionals is a wonderful thing. I don't know what you think, Angie. 
I absolutely agree because you have so many, you have to juggle so much um, during those flights. And not to mention at a regional airline, you have multiple legs per day. Now, for some people, that's a drawback. But just like you said, for many, it's actually it's actually kind of exciting because when you get home at the end of the day and you can say, I went to three different countries, I made it through customs with all of those companies or with all those countries, excuse me. Um, I had an opportunity um, to, um, you know, to fly X amount, you know, X amount of hours today and deal with this different kind of or, the, you know, these diverse people um, or, or, or passengers or crew members. Um, you know, it, it can be very exciting, actually, at the end of the day and can be very, very rewarding. And so, yeah, I don't think you should ever discount um, a regional airline for a great source of experience because, you know, you, you become a very you become a, a very focused individual. And you learn so much about yourself. And, and again, I think it comes down to that communication skill as well, because part of what makes the commuter or the regional airline, so to speak, run is, is effective communication. You have to communicate with customs. You have to communicate with gate agents. You have to communicate with dispatch. You have to communicate with your crew. Everything has to be organized and orchestrated very carefully to make sure that you have those on-time departures, to make sure that there's no hiccups in customs whatsoever. And so um, by going to the regional airlines, um, it gives you a great opportunity to really be able to build and to perfect this kind of, of communication skill within yourself. You know, bringing up that communication skills, uh, one further example is not just the communication skills with customers, but also with air traffic control. You know, uh, at one of the regionals I worked for, I spent a lot of time flying around Mexico. Actually, we were the largest U.S. carrier in Mexico. And, boy, I tell you, having to deal with another air traffic control organization that speaks another language and trying to understand what they're trying to tell you and also international operations within the airspace is really important, and you can get that type of experience at a regional airline, depending on, on who you're flying for. Also, uh, depending on where you're based, too, because a lot of regionals, what they'll do is do a lot of that flying. Uh, say if you're near Mexico, uh, you'll do a lot of flying in Mexico. If you're near Canada, you do more flying towards Canada, or if you're near, near the Caribbean, more flying in the Caribbean. Boy, I tell you, there's. Uh, I just was talking to some folks over at, I think it was Cape Air, and those folks are flying in and out of all sorts of countries down in the Caribbean uh, and just doing island hopping. It's, it's, really, it's really exciting. I mean, and to see all those different cultures, et cetera, is, is also very, very exciting. And, and learning how to communicate with air traffic controllers, and I think that's very important. Um, you know, it's interesting, though. Let's go back to, to what we were talking about with the, the regionals as far as two things. Number one, we, people used to call them the salad years and, uh, and, and the furloughs. The, in the beginning, many years ago, this hasn't really changed much. It really was it was tough to actually make it through the first few years because the pay was so low. Well, we haven't seen things change in all these years. And uh, one of the things that, that I like to tell people is that it, it, if you have your goal in mind, if you know what your end goal is, like you call it, that golden ring, if you know what that is, it makes surviving these salad years and furloughs a little bit easier. But you always have to keep your eye on that goal. And, uh, you know, for me, I've spent years on furlough, uh, bounced around to many different airlines. As a matter of fact, my interview with uh, a major airline, I kind of messed up the interview because the person asked me what my first uh, airline uh, airplane was that I flew. And I, I said, oh, boy, you know, I, I couldn't remember because I'd, I'd been I'd changed jobs so many times. My first four years, I never had to do recurrent training. I was constantly going uh, through new training. 
But you know, how about how about in general, surviving those salad years and those furloughs? Uh, what type of advice would you give to somebody who's going through that right now? That I always say, number one, as easy as it is to get discouraged, don't. Um, you have to remember that that as cyclical and as volatile as the aviation industry is, as quickly as furloughs take place, they will also undo, meaning that you will get called back eventually. So it's important to to not get get very frustrated with that. The other thing I always recommend is in, it, it's really important to to do some very simple things so that when the opportunity does present itself to either accept another position or the opportunity to return to your company may come about, you know, always do things for personal growth reasons. If this is a good time for you to get in school, get in school. You know, get get that degree so that you can make yourself more marketable. In, in case the furlough lasts for quite some time, maybe you need to look at other options or other companies that you can go fly for. Well, now's the time to get that degree. Um, another thing is, is to keep your resume up to date. Um, you know, you always want to have that resume in hand and at the ready on the off chance that you run into somebody that might be able to help you out. I think the single most important tip I can give is continue to network. Um, there's so many pilots who have had either their first starts or their second jobs or even their last job because of word of mouth. So it's really important to remain in contact with everyone and to continue to, to network very efficiently and very effectively. Stay in the aviation community. Um, sometimes when these furloughs happen, we, we worked with um, the unions um, with furlough groups. And some of the applicants had to literally leave the cockpit because they needed, they had financial, um, you know, obligations that they had to make. And that's understandable. But when they left, when they left their job, they literally left their job and they did nothing within aviation. Well, trying to get back into that is very, very difficult. It is easier to get back into aviation. It's, it's easier to return to, you know, from a furlough or to find another job as a pilot if you continue to network and stay very involved in, in the aviation community. And, and to solidify that fact, Angie, you know, we talk about how many hours it's, you need to be competitive with, a, with an airline, but the more important thing is, is networking. I mean, there's, uh, there's so much to be said there. Back when there was no restrictions on the ATP, I know people have gotten hired with the majors at 500 hours of of actual you know time. It it just amazes me, and that's usually not even enough to get it onto the regionals. And the reason being is because they networked, and a friend of theirs was a friend of the chief pilot, and the chief pilot liked him and said, "Listen, when you get your 500 hours, that's our stated minimums. Uh, you know, put an application in." And he got hired. Uh, just just phenomenal. I mean, that's obviously an exception to the rule, but. But through networking, 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 you you can find so many different avenues uh, for jobs. Uh, I know that you know I get offers for jobs a lot just because of the 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 scope of of what I do here, and that's again networking. And uh, you know it really the other neat thing about networking as a as a nice little side effect is the fact that I feel it also encourages you. Uh, you start talking to more people that have are doing what you want to do kind of like what we're doing here with this podcast is is trying to get you to hear uh from people that are doing what they love to do uh, like i i love my job uh so so that's really important to do there too um you know the the thing is though it, it's sometimes easier you know said than done you know that we talk about finances one of the things that i find is important is to have your finances in order and not try to get too much in debt and that type of thing when you are a pilot 
just because of these furloughs. I, I don't know what you, you suggest to people when they start getting into this career, Angie. You know, one of the things that is really great about, about pilots, um, aviation in general, is that many people have multiple skills. And, and, you know, I have never met a more resilient bunch of, uh, or group, um, than, than those that are in aviation because they seem to, you know, they, they seem to bounce right back, you know, most of them relatively quickly. And it's because they have such an interesting and diverse background and skill set. And I always recommend that it's a good idea to, to look at different options and maybe, you know, just like you do, have a, a, have a backup plan, um, have a secondary, have a secondary skill that, that maybe you start working on a little bit on the side. I know some pilots that, that, um, together they had individually, they had gone into real estate on their own and at the company they they decided to go into a joint venture and started doing home appraising. And so, which worked out well for them because three years later when the company did furlough, they were able to use that as a resource, as a financial resource for them to continue to financially support their family. Plus it gave them that additional money so they were able to go out and get some flight time because currency is another big deal when you're on furlough um, um, and you're looking for a job. So they were able to do, to do both of those things with their backup plan. So I always think it's worthwhile to look at your secondary strengths um, and, and to build upon those. And if at all possible, if you can get those in touch with, with aviation, that would be a great thing, too. I've had pilots that have been accountants, and so they worked for small, um, small aviation companies on the side, helping do their bookkeeping or doing their accounting. It wasn't a lot of money. But it was enough to keep things going. So diversify your background, um, expand your skill level, and and I think doing a little bit of things on the side is definitely a bonus. You know, it's interesting you say that. It's just about everybody you talk to has something else going on the side. You know, like myself, I have real estate investments, and I, you know, I do coaching, et cetera. And you know, it, it, you talk to people that have laundromats and and people that have home appraising, like you said. A lot of folks in the in the real estate, I do find that. People in investing in the stock market, all sorts of things. You know, another thing that people do, they flight instruct. Uh, and amazingly enough, uh, you know, we talk about flight instructing as, as something that doesn't pay very well. There are some good paying flight instructing jobs. As a matter of fact, I made more instructing uh, than my first four years with the airlines. And it just happened that I was in a very good market. Plus, there's certain instructing jobs that keep you in aviation, like simulator instructing, which the you know the pay there is not so bad. Uh, it's actually really, really good, and uh, which is another avenue we've talked about that is is uh, being a sim instructor. So again, don't discount anything. I mean, you everybody has certain skills, and that's again what's so wonderful about this job is listening to people and what they do and their their different side businesses or their hobbies and their hobbies that they've turned into actually a job. I mean, I know people that are into building airplanes, and now they represent the airplane company, uh, like some of these light sport aircraft, etc. So, so many different things that you can do on furlough. But like you said, I, I really like the fact that you mentioned that you really need to keep in the aviation industry, because if you leave and uh, you try to get back in, it can be quite frustrating. Um, and with that said, um, that kind of leads into the, the next question. How, what if you are experienced and, and you've been out of aviation for 20 years? I mean, I have a few people that I run to with 20 years of not being in aviation, and you have that five to 6,000 hours. You know, is, that, is that somebody that they're going to hire at the airline? Eventually. 
However, they're going to have to take a few steps back. So in other words, what's going to have to happen is, is that they need to, like you said, get involved with with um, flight instructing, get involved as a sim instructor, go to air ambulance companies, um, go to charter companies, go to um, Part 91, 91K, 135 environments. Do whatever you can to get yourself back in the cockpit. The reality is, is that probably right now the legacy carriers will not look at that. Even if I, I've worked with pilots that have had seven, eight, nine, ten thousand hours, but they've been out of the cockpit for two or more years, and that currency is a big hiccup. So being able to say that you have flown more than 100 hours in the last six months, um, being able to say that you are instrument current, that's the ticket right now. So if, if you need to get those things done, figure out a way to get them done by doing some of these other things. And you're right. Flight instructing is a great opportunity to stay in the cockpit, to, to keep yourself in the industry, and it has very flexible hours. Um, as does air ambulance services on some occasions you can do that, or even night cargo. So I tell pilots that have been out of the cockpit for a while, I know it feels like you're stepping back a little bit, but trust me, your ability to slide forward much more quickly, meaning that it may only take you six or nine months to get recognized by another company now because you have that past behind you and you now have the currency that you've just acquired. So your chances of being pulled up probably are a little bit, um, you're probably going to get called in a little bit more quickly than some of the others. But it's going to be really important to step back and say, all right, I'm just going to have to bite the bullet a little bit. It's, it's, it's not going to be you know, what I wanted to for my first six months or nine months or a year to get back into aviation. But it's, it's, it's a necessity that I have to do in order to get me to that next level within two or three years. And to that point, Angie, I just uh, spoke with an F-16 fighter pilot who had been out of the industry for many years, hadn't flown for, he went into computers and hadn't flown for like eight years. And and he said, listen, you know, I'm not current. I understand. Uh, I need to go back to the regionals. He went to the regionals and within a couple of years, boom, he was flying an Airbus at the majors. Uh, so that, that ha- it happens quicker than you think. I know it, a couple of years seems like a long time, but you know, you've been out of it for a while, and uh, you know it's time to time to get currency. Currency is a, a point that you've said a few times. Uh, being current is really important, and uh, another reason, uh, especially, is uh, your currency with instrument flying. Another reason they want to see that is from from my experience with people that I've worked with in getting into the airlines. A lot of the folks that don't make it through the training process are people that haven't had much current experience flying IFR. Uh, meaning by instruments, whereas, you know, say somebody who's a great stick-and-rudder pilot's been, you know, banner-towing for a few years, has thousands of hours, uh, they may not have that instrument skills, uh, so they may need to go and, and maybe get a little bit of experience doing that, either in a simulator or uh, through doing some instrument instructing. Uh, would you agree with that, Angie? Absolutely. I completely agree with that. There, You know, these companies have to do risk assessments in, in, in order to determine if the candidate is qualified for the position. And if they see that that person is, has left the cockpit for a period of time, they deem them to be a little bit higher risk for, just as you said, getting through training. And, and training costs an exorbitant amount of money for these companies. So it's really important that when they bring in somebody to their training environment, they have a relatively strong confidence level that there will be zero hiccups because money is time and time is money when it comes to the airlines. Plus, they want to make sure they have the most well-qualified and safest pilots they can hire. So not to say that these pilots are not great pilots and that they're not safe, 
But unfortunately, it's one of those things where if you don't use it all the time, there's a greater chance of losing it. And it doesn't take much to get it back. I mean, you can blow the cobwebs off pretty quickly. Once you get back into a sim, once you get back into the plane, once you get that currency, things start coming back to you. But the airlines don't want to be a test subject. They want to know that you have already blown off those cobwebs, knocked off that rust, kicked those tires, and that when you sit down in training for them, they're going to have very little concerns about trying to get you through training. Well, I'm glad you said that, Angie. It, it, that's pretty encouraging that they can you know, knock the rust off fairly quickly. Uh, it takes a lot less time than you think. It's, uh, it's almost like riding a bicycle, a little bit tougher because uh, the, the instrument skills come back a little bit slower. But, boy, it, it does come back. It does come back, even after years of being out of the cockpit. It's definitely a learned skill. You know, going back to, to hours in the cockpit, et cetera, we talked a little bit about the majors, but I think we, we forgot to mention the regionals. What, what are the minimums nowadays uh, at the regionals, and uh, can you get in with less than, than an ATP? And that's an interesting question. Um, up until the answer is you needed the ATP. However, some of these regionals and have, have been toying with the idea and maybe there is one or two that have started. I don't know that for a fact, but they have been toying with the idea and rumored to be working on some programs where they basically take you from CFI to ATP to pilot with their companies. So there, you know, that that's that's the million dollar question is is you know filling that slot. And again, it you just have to look at at all of the airlines and their minimum qualifications. But usually for a regional, fifteen hundred hours is going to be the magic marker. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that. There's um, another aspect here. You know, now with the ATP, you have to actually get some experience in the simulator now. Uh, mm-hmm. They call it the ATP CTP course. There are airlines that are reaching out, and there was one, oh, that's it, it was uh, ExpressJet Airlines uh, recently had their first student uh, in January this month uh, that actually went through and got their ATP CTP. In other words, their, their certified uh, training program. Uh, for their ATP was passed through ExpressJet. And another way that airlines are partnering and trying to get people uh, into the cockpit in the airlines by doing this type of training. Uh, I, think, I think it's awesome. Uh, I think it's great because it gets them in that, that whole training environment and it's going to rub off on them, I think, you know, if you go to an actual airline training school. I think that's a really, really good opportunity. Uh, but that, that was just recent. And <clears throat> I tell you, that's, uh, that's been a big worry of people. And I've actually uh, seen people in the past, and, I'm, and you can talk to this too, that I've gotten hired with less than the ATP standards, but it's uh, like every time you get hired with an airline, it's a conditional hire based on your background check, et cetera. But they're telling them, listen, uh, you have a conditional hire letter now for six months. You need to get your ATP. Uh, that's at one airline that I know. Is, there, is that starting to become an industry standard now? I'm not sure it's an industry standard, but I do think that there's more and more of it taking place. There's more and more of those airlines that are trying to do things along those lines um, because they are in a position where they recognize that they have a gold mine of pilots that they can tap into that are in the CFI, CFII, or lower time um, flight hours who is, is who will not on their own be able to financially afford getting some time in a sim or getting their ATP to get to that level. So they're recognizing that there's some very creative things that they can do by bringing these pilots in at this very, you know, grassroots level. 
and training them up to be part of their team and training them the way they want them to be trained. So, um, so yes, I think that we're, I, I, I'm hopeful that we see more and more of that. It is, there is a, a company or two that is doing that now. And there's rumors that there's a couple of other companies that are in the process of trying to do that too. And I tell you, if you're looking for an applicant and you want somebody to to work for you, this is a great way to make sure they come come work for you. You know, that's uh, you're 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 getting somebody who's really going to stay with your airline and and you know be more consistent in in their employment, that type of thing. I tell you, it, you know, Angie, this is there's some really good stuff we talked about. Like I said, we could, we could talk for hours and hours, but um, I do want to mention a couple things. We've we focused most of our our discussions on flying careers and. Um, there's some other things out there in the aviation industry, and obviously, if you listen to this show, you've you've heard of all those different jobs. Uh, there's flight attendants, there's engineers, etc. Um, Angie, you work for a consulting firm, uh, and you help people and counsel them uh, on aviation careers. What other careers are there in aviation uh, besides just the the pilot and the flight attendant? The pilot, the flight attendant, the mechanic, you've got the flight engineers, you've got dispatchers, you've got customer service agents, you have, um, you know, you have um, managers um, within um, different departments in there. Um, you can even get into legal, um, you know, in, in aviation within within certain companies, they have legal departments. So I've, I've actually worked with a lot of pilot slash lawyers, and some of them went back and forth. Um, there's there's lawyers within aviation departments. You've got human resources in aviation departments. Um, you know, I just recently worked with a pilot. Um, well, actually, she she was a, um, a recreational pilot, and she knew she wanted to do something in aviation, but she didn't want to fly. But she had an amazing background um, with regards to psychology, and she was able to get a position with a legacy carrier um, in in their um, within their company. And what she does is is she does. It, I want to say it's industrial. I apologize, I don't remember the title, but anyhow, she's within that company, and she is now a counselor, so to speak, within that company, so that she can help to design better ways to approach people. She can help to design better ways if there's been a problem at work, how to address those situations. So we were able to creatively use her background for a particular position within that company. So just because you don't necessarily want to fly and be a pilot, doesn't mean that you can't be with an aviation company and still work within that realm. There's so many positions in there. So many positions. It's so much fun. It's it's a wonderful group of people. You know, just to add to that, I, we have a, a local student, young person who uh, went on to the majors, and he had plenty of time to be a pilot, but he loves safety and now works in the safety department, isn't qualified as a pilot with the airline, but absolutely loves uh, working with people in safety and making the processes better within that airline. So there's a, another example. We can go on with many, many more. Uh, but, you know, if you're looking at a career, uh, there's so many things out there, which you know, it really can be difficult to decide, you know, what you want to do. And, uh, you know, most of us, they go, we go to our parents, uh, you know, we go to our friends, we ask about aviation and and all of them tell us, oh, you're going to be an airline pilot. Well, you know, I want to be a, you know, an engineer. I want to fix the airplanes. And, and or yes, I want to be an airline pilot. And they say, oh, you're going to make lots of money. But, but you know, that's not totally the reality uh, of things right away. Is is that you know it's going to take the salad years, et cetera. So, you know, you need to go to somebody that can help you um, and to help you along the path towards becoming uh, a pilot or whatever aviation career you choose. Uh, so. 
I feel it's important to see somebody who's a, a somebody who's in the industry, like a counselor or a coach or an avi- who has aviation experience. Um, and you, you folks do that. Uh, so tell us a little bit about why uh, they should seek out aviation career counseling and also uh, what type of services you offer with your company. Sure. We work with, we don't just do aviation. You know, we do pilots, flight attendants, but we also do um, applicants that are looking to get jobs in, in general corporate business world. Um, but as far as the, the preparing for, for a, a career in aviation, regardless of the position that you are looking at, there's, there can be some frustrations in there and there can be some challenges. And I have seen a lot of applicants or a lot of people that I work with that choose to leave the industry because they don't know how to maneuver the landmines that are out there. And if you understand why they're, why they are there and if you understand how to avoid them, um, it makes the process so much easier. And oftentimes you need to get with somebody, some kind of a, a consulting company or a counselor to help you understand what is going to be the most direct path for you to take to achieve this goal in the shortest amount of time. Um, even though it will take time, there's ways to get there a little bit more quickly than others. So I, I think being able to have somebody that you can speak with is, is imperative. Um, we help applicants with everything, especially in the aviation industry. We help with everything from resumes to applications to um, interview uh, prep consults, um, job fairs, how to go to job fairs and how to present yourself more effectively um, how to go to meet and greets, um, you know, which is, you know, small meetings that you have with one, one other person within the company, how to present yourself in the best way possible, how to be professional for the particular job that you're going for. And we do that across the board with all of the, with all of the industries that we work within. But, but aviation can be particularly, um, interesting because there are so many nuances and there's so many challenges there. That, that we understand how to get you from point A to point B um, and make you look really professional and help you put your best foot forward so that you can be the best you that you can be when you get to that when you get to that point. And I, I tell you that some of the things that you've done in the past, full disclosure, I've actually uh, you know as a furlough rep with an airline. And we have used uh, your consulting group uh, quite extensively. Uh, I was actually in charge of over a thousand furloughed pilots. We had multiple furloughs, and uh, we had the highest percentage of furloughs in the industry, actually. And boy, you know, you, you folks really were were very helpful, uh, and especially with the furloughed people, and gave us a, a great discount to the union that I was working with at the time. And it's a real testament to to what you've done in the past and the experience you have for for many years. Uh, the consulting business that you have has been around, but you also, uh, what's interesting, has partnered with a lot of folks uh, and have grown quite a bit. And and not just uh, you know looking at furloughs and those type of things, but you also have some other people that do things like I've seen uh, authors of books on uh, on math, uh, you know, like mental math for pilot, et cetera. And all those resources are available, but where can they actually find those resources? You know, directly on our website, you can go to cageconsulting.com. And yes, we have we have um, workbooks, we have technical review books. Um, we have um, information on on um, on all aspects of the interviews, all the way from the HR panel interviews to to the technical aspects of getting you ready for the interviews, um, to even using technical aspects just for getting ready for um, for any aspect of aviation that you need help with. We do furlough support. 
um, as well as you mentioned. So, um, you know, all of our products and all of our services are listed at, at cageconsulting.com. Awesome, Angie. And I tell you what, I wish we could we could talk for another five hours on, on the different careers in aviation. And, you know, we spoke before we got online here and it just it, it's it's so much fun speaking with somebody in the industry because of the fact that that everybody is so passionate and you truly are passionate about this industry. Uh, again, Angie, thanks so much for being here. I mean, thanks for helping the the listeners. Is there any any one thing that you could you could tell us before you go about uh, a career in aviation, or if you're thinking about a career of aviation, what they can do right now? Yeah, preparation is imperative. I truly believe that success is when preparation meets opportunity. Things don't just happen. When somebody says, "Oh my gosh, he's so lucky this happened," the reality is is that that person spent years preparing for that moment. So the one thing I want to leave everyone with is, is that it's imperative that you, you make a plan, you decide where it is you want to go and what is your golden ring, and then you start taking the steps to achieve it. You're going to have some hiccups along the way, there is no doubt. It's not, it's not how you fall down, it's how you pick yourself up, and it's how you carry yourself on from there. So those are going to be some things that are very important, but looking at preparing everything, if you're a pilot specifically how to prepare everything from your logbooks to your resume to every aspect of, of, you know, your career decisions, the aircraft that you fly, the companies that you go work with, that will help you to get from A to B in a much more efficient manner. So if, if nothing else, I guess my thought to leave everyone with is regardless of where you decide to go, it's important that you make a plan, you prepare for that. And then as the opportunities present themselves, if you are fully prepared, you will have success. Well, thank you for that, that advice, Angie. And, and if you're listening right now and you're f- trying to figure out you know, what you need to do next, start planning. Uh, you know, we always end the show with telling folks to do one thing. One thing now, it could be small, uh, it could be large, uh, but do something right now. Of course, if you're driving in the car, don't stop driving. You know, think about it, and when you pull over, uh, write that down or make a phone call, call a friend, etc. And, and then tell us what it is that you've done uh, to move forward in your career. You know, if you're listening right now on this show, episode 77, I'd suggest you go to Cage Consulting. They have a lot of different avenues that you can go towards for information, a lot of different tools. So, again, cageconsulting.com. We'll have all those links out there on the website at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash 77. Again, do something today. Remember that it is a varied path. And enjoy the journey. We'll talk to you next episode. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved. <laughs>